across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. This episode is brought to you by Rebus University. Hey guys, Pat here. You've heard me talk about Rebus University and the success we're having with it. Have over 120 people taking the listing agent course right now as we speak. Wanted to read you a, a comment. I've got seven comments, all five star comments on it. And it says, wow, first class material Jeff Cohn is a rock star. Rachel Adams is a rock star. All the presenters deliver tons of value. Thank you, Pat, for drawing out that little extra from each presenter. If you are a realtor or thinking about becoming one, invest in yourself with Rebus University. I couldn't say it better. Dion hit it right on the head. We've had a ton of people graduate. The other day I read off the list. We've had a lot of people in there talking on the dialogue section. Some of the, the greatest things that people like are, are the way we talk about rapport building, commission enhancements, sales techniques, objection handling, all the good stuff that are going to help you beat your competition over and over again on listing appointments and never, ever, ever lose a listing again to a competitor. And we make sure that by creating quizzes, there's 42 tests that you got to take and get an 80% or better on before you get your certificate as a pass for a certified listing agent. So as a listener of the show, I, I have a coupon. It's a hundred bucks off. Just go to hybendigital.com backslash discount, hybendigital.com backslash discount. It'll take you to the Rebus site. And uh, on the Rebus site, which is rebusuniversity.com, you can look at, you can even play in some of the modules. You can look at a couple of the, the videos for free kind of take it for a test run highly recommend it and of course when you get the course on how to win every listing you get 28 downloads that are completely downloadable print them out change them make put your name on and make them the way you want that all these eight agents from around the world who are top 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 listing agents use on a daily basis when they go on their listing appointment. So in addition to the 10 hours plus of video, the 42 quizzes and the 28 downloads, you get all of that. And then you get a discussion board where you can talk to other Rebus students at the same time. So hybendigital.com backslash discount. Now on with the show. Happy Friday, Rockstar Nation. Hope all is well with everybody listening and everybody is safe from Hurricane Matthew. I can tell you I'm hiding out in a friend's basement. Yeah, as you may know, my wife and I moved to Folly Beach, South Carolina. Looks like the storm is raring through there today. So uh, we decided to hide out elsewhere rather than braze it out because uh, it looks like the whole neighborhood is boarded up. The one thing I don't have is plywood. Looks like everybody was selling out of plywood and gas and everything else. So anyways, I hope my new house is okay. Boy, 
today, my birthday, by the way, 51 years old, still feel 21, but we have a great guest. We have Robert Kiyosaki. And I wanted to explain a couple of things before I put Robert on. First of all, I met Robert about two years ago. I am part owner and an active member in a mastermind group that is for business owners of all types of businesses who like to lead epic lives. And the same group of 22 guys that I went to Vietnam with, I've gone to Norway with, I've gone to Spain, Peru, Machu Picchu, and we meet every year in in a ski resort area and ski and then we mastermind. And we've done this for about five years. This year we're going to Whistler in Canada because it costs about 50% of what it would cost here in the U.S. uh, where we've done it in the past. But nonetheless, Robert came to one of these events and I was able to have dinner with him and, and break bread with him and talk to him and I asked him if he would come on my show, and lo and behold, here it is two years later. Better late than never, he's on the show. Uh, So he makes mention of that meeting. He makes mention of GoBundance. Uh, If you're interested in GoBundance, uh, check us out on GoBundance.com and fill out an application. A couple other things. Some of the things you need to know is he mentions his cash flow quadrant. Now, this may be elementary for people that follow Robert Kiyosaki. He's written a million books, but one of his best books is uh, The Cash Flow Quadrant. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. He talks in his book, The Cash Flow Quadrant, primarily about his cash flow quadrant. And the quadrant is, is four pieces. Imagine a square right or a cross with letters on each side of the cross you have uh, something called an e which is an employee you have something below that called an s which is self-employed now this is where most real estate agents lie in the s quadrant okay then you have something called b which is the business owner in the top right quadrant and then you have i which is the investor. And I wanted to explain this before the call because he taught, he makes mentions of this and I don't want it to be, you know, uh, going over your head. Okay. So if you've already known, if you already know this, I apologize, but, uh, hearing it again, wouldn't hurt. So if you're getting paid a salary, you're an E, if you're a real estate agent, you're an S now where real estate agents tend to move up to the B quadrant, the business quadrant is where they start developing a team. Right. If you have an active team and you have employees and you're getting profit over and above your commissions that you're doing, if you're doing the listing appointments, then that would be B like you're not fully in the B until you basically get out of the picture. You know, until you've done uh, essentially what I've done, which is sell it to somebody, let somebody take over what Gary Keller would call the seventh level until it runs without you, then you're in a B. But if you if you have a team of 25 people and you're still doing listing appointments or you're still managing or you're still highly involved, you're still in the S quadrant. And then the last one is the I, which is in the investor. And, and you know, a great example, and I don't mean to shine a light on me, but a good example is what I did. You know, I started out as an E like everybody. Right. I washed dishes. I was a bus boy. When I was about 20 years old, I got a job in the S quadrant. I sold, I, I, I worked on commissions, self-employed, 
uh, getting people to, to go to a timeshare development. And I did that through college. I did that. That was my first experience with the S at 20 years old. I never went back to the E, never got paid a salary again. I lie. When I graduated college, I did uh, substitute teaching for a couple of months, but that was my only, my only and last experience after college with the E quadrant, the employee. And then I took it to the B quadrant 15 years ago or so, where I actually stopped going on listing appointments, stopped being involved uh, fully. I would say I went from B to I in 2010 when I sold my business to Mike Sloan and he took it over completely. Then I you know, released my book, went on book tour. It's been six years now and pretty much got out of the business for seven months on book tour and came back and everything was running on its own. I didn't need to do anything anymore. That's when I went to the I. Still receive profits on that team business, but Mike Sloan runs it. I really do nothing with it to that level. And I'm truly in the eye investor. You know, I have 57 lines of horizontal income coming across that pay me whether they're rental properties, apartment buildings, shopping center, 16 small companies. Not all of them pay me horizontally. Not all of them are paying me every month, but I do have interest in 16 companies and that is a true I. So that's a real life story of going from E to S to B to I. And I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear on that. Robert talks about some great things here. I'm not going to spoil any of them in the intro because I want you to hear them. I thought I asked good questions. Many of these questions came from you. I put it out on Facebook. I got like 75 responses. A lot of them were the same. Please don't be upset at his answers. A lot of you asked, you know, about how you move from quadrant to quadrant. And I, I don't want you to react to his answers. I want you to sit and think about what he said and you're, it's either going to motivate you or it's going to demotivate you but that's going to be up to you so before i jump on i've got some great messages here to read hey pat i just want to take a quick message to tell you how much your show has helped my business i stumbled across your podcast after you were interviewed by joshua smith on the gsd mode podcast now, if you haven't listened to that, that's an awesome podcast. Josh came on my podcast, episode 300. Nice, even 300. Uh, go back and listen to that, and then you can hear his, too. I have been an avid listener ever since. I'm a new agent, licensed in March of this year, went full-time in June. Over the past four months, I've sold 16 homes for $5.9 in counting. I have so many fantastic nuggets from you and your guests not to mention your show is a great way to keep up motivation by listening to people who have made it through the ups and the downs of real estate. When other new agents ask how I'm doing so much volume so quickly, I tell them I spend time daily with the best agents in the business, even though I haven't met them. I also picked up your book, Six Steps to Seven Figures, and it is full of real life tips and great takeaways to win in real estate as well as an entertaining read. Anyways, I just want to say thanks for what you do. It is well appreciated. Keep up the great content. John Mendelson, Hampton Roads, Virginia. Hey, John, that's an awesome message, dude. Thank you so much, so much. Uh, so here's one from Jimmy ND. 
Hey, Patrick, I hope you're doing well. I've been following you since the day I listened to your interview on Bigger Pockets. Again, that one's coming out too, by the way. Bigger Pockets, I was on Bigger Pockets about two weeks ago. Definitely check out that podcast. But the, the two guys from Bigger Pockets on my podcast coming up the week after next or so. So you want to uh, stay tuned for that one. Very impressive what you've accomplished. I just got started in real estate in New York City. I'm with Keller Williams. I would appreciate a piece of advice from someone that is just starting out and any tips, area to focus, a system to follow up, to get more leads and become more productive. Jimmy is uh, in New York, New York, formerly of Beirut, Lebanon. Thanks, Jimmy. So here's my advice. Uh, I would say, you know, number one, get busy. I would say number two, be obnoxious. You know, let everybody know that you're in the real estate business. Let everybody know that you're in the real estate business. Just be obnoxious. You know, hand out 10 cards a day to randoms. Pick up the phone. That's key. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone. You should be calling 10 people a day or if not more. You should be calling everybody you know of and be like, I'm in the business. And number four, what you need to know, Jimmy, is one thing. I'll tell you this quick story. Back in like 2005, 2006, I was getting into the REO business. And I went to a friend and a mentor of mine, Chantel Ray, who had like 500 REO listings. And she told me to basically to pick up the phone and call as many banks as I could every day. That was her advice. And I remember saying, you know, to myself, I don't want to work that hard, but I want this business until she gave me this really, really impactful advice. She said, Pat, I'm going to tell you one thing. I want you to write it down. And I said, okay, I got my pen, Chantel. And she said, you reap what you sow 100% of the time. You reap what you sow 100% of the time. I think I write about this in my book, too, uh, in Chapter 3, Act. But, uh, Jimmy and D, what she was saying is, if I promise you that if you pick up the phone and you're obnoxious and you start calling people and you start handing out cards and you start doing what your broker tells you to do and start doing what people on this show tell you to do, you will get sales and you will get commissions. The only way you're going to fail is if you don't sow any new seeds, if you don't work hard, if you don't act. So basically, like your kindergarten teacher told you, probably back in Beirut, hopefully, sit in the corner and do what you're told. And that's what my teachers used to tell me, and that's what I did when I got into the business, and that's what Chantel was telling me. So, Jimmy... Thanks for listening, buddy. Uh, keep listening, and thanks for the comments. I got one more, which is kind of, uh, I wasn't going to read this, but I decided to, to let everybody know what I'm doing now. Hey, Pat, my name is Dale Archdekin. I'm the director of lead generation for the number five team at Keller Williams right now. You did an interview with my CEO, Noah Ostroff, a while back. By the way, Noah is episode 333. If you, if you haven't heard it, you definitely want to hear it. I run our lead generation and inside sales department. I also coach and train other teams and agents on how to hire and manage ISA, which is an inside sales agent, teams and build their own lead generation departments. I'm wondering if we could do something together. Let me know. Let's chat. Dale, yes, let's definitely chat. People are asking me what I'm doing with Rebus over and above 
the certified listing agent course. And as you, as I mentioned before, I'm building a certified team agent with Jeff Cohn, the uh, massive, massive Berkshire Hathaway agent out of Omaha, Nebraska. And I've got other people in the works that I'm building other products with to benefit you guys. And, and this could be one of them. And the reason I wanted to read this here is if anybody listening has an idea for a class that we could add to Rebus University, please tell me and I'll investigate that. Or if anyone you know has a class that already exists that you think I should add as a recommended class, it doesn't have to be my class. I can still add it. Let me know, or if you have an idea, let me know. If you have this brilliant idea on how to get listings from, uh, say, divorce lawyers, let's create a divorce lawyer class. You know, let's do this. So think about that, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm easy to get. I'm easy to Google. I'm easy to find. Just go to Facebook or whatever. Most of these are coming off of either Rebus University website or the Hyben Digital website. So, uh, man, I've had a good week with uh, comments, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, let's get into next week's shows. First of all, on Monday, I got Mark Walker out of Denver, Colorado. He's basically done what Kiyosaki is explaining to do today and what I just explained to you. If you want a real-life person who's done that, definitely listen Monday, Mark. On Wednesday, I got Peter Hernandez. He's one of the owners of TELUS Properties. If you haven't heard of TELUS Properties, they have taken over California or parts of California, Malibu, Beverly Hills, that sort of thing. They did last year they did 12 billion in volume and 500 million of it was international. I mean, they're selling some international stuff in a very unique way. They got 19 offices and he's basically him and I discussed some really really cool things about listing appointments. He he personally went on listing appointments with all of his agents and he still does from time to time on high-end listings and took notes and developed like a special thing and he wouldn't share all of it but he certainly shared enough of it to get great content of you know how his agents uh, learned from him on how to get like 95 percent or 98 percent of every listing that they go on so if you're a listing agent or want to be a listing agent you need to hear this with peter hernandez and then friday we got jv crumb JV's awesome. I mean, international speaker. Well, basically, what JV and I are, are talking about is creating wealth through cash flow or horizontal income as a real estate agent. A lot of real estate agents, as you know, have cash flow that's temporary through commissions. You know, the longest cash flow they might have out is that they sell a new home and they're getting paid seven months out. Uh, very few have cash flow that are horizontal. The lines like me like Mark Walker, like Robert Kiyosaki on 6,000 rental units. And so JV Crum and I uh, broached that subject. So purposely kind of set in some, some people that uh, had the same belief system as Kiyosaki so we could keep the ball rolling with this because I think it's really important that you guys as real estate agents start building wealth and start building horizontal income because there is no retirement that is offered in real estate. So without further ado, let's jump on the call with Robert Kiyosaki, and I hope you guys enjoy the interview that I had today. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend.
Okay, great, Robert. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I think everybody knows who you are, and if they don't, then they, they kind of heard what I described in the intro here. But I have some questions. I actually asked online on Facebook uh, some questions. I said, you know, I'm interviewing Robert Kiyosaki for my podcast. What would you like me to ask him? And these are a series of questions that I that I got from my Facebook friends and uh, people that follow the show on Facebook. So let me jump into some of these. Okay. Okay. Question number one is there are so many opportunities for rental properties today, right? And more than ever, real estate is considered an asset class by many. And if you had to pick one of these that I mentioned, which one would you pick and why? Now, let's assume that all of them meet the same rule of 1%, whereas the monthly rent is 1% of the purchase price. So if it's 100,000, the rent is a grand a month. So the numbers are all the same, but the difference is gonna be in where they're located or who they're rented to. So the first would be a vacation rental rented through Airbnb. The second would be a traditional rental in a blue collar neighborhood where it's rented year to year. The third one would be a section eight government rent the fourth one would be micro units like tiny bedrooms in popular areas, populated areas. And the last one would be college students. Which of those do you like the most and which do you like the least? Well, I have over 6,000 rental units. I would say most of them are rented to working class families, always near areas with a steady jobs. So I don't really, I, I, have, I have one or two vacation rentals, but I don't consider them a serious business. Why is that? And, well, because I just don't. I mean, I don't really like that. I don't like that business. And then uh, this person, nothing wrong with it. You can do what you'd like. Section 8, it, you take a whole different type of management. And I've had Section 8, and they've always proven to be disasters because I couldn't mix Section 8 with working people. And then college students, I had some of those in college towns. But again, that's a different type of, should I say, client. And micro units, I don't, I don't have any idea what those are. But I generally, I generally stick to my knitting. I like to provide housing for people who are working class. And why do you like working class, other than the fact that they sign a full year's lease? That's probably the main reason, and they have a job most of the time. Again, like I said, the biggest problems I've had with Section Eight was that they didn't have jobs, most of them, or they were problem people, and it would have meant me converting. The entire unit, the whole complex, over to Section Eight entirely, or get get rid of them and put working class in there. Yeah, I, I don't mix. I don't mix customers. Should I say? Wow, that's great. That's great. Okay, so when 2008 came around, or right before 2008 came around, and the market crashed, very few people predicted it. You know, and you know now that movies like The Big Short have come out, and people are in the market that were in the market an easy 10 years ago or less, eight years ago, are aware of what happened and, it, and they're very sensitive to it. And you have a lot of people this time around predicting market crash. And I wanted to get your take on it. Is it going to be any different this time around, this cycle, because so many people are actually talking about it or trying to predict it versus last time where it was a, much of a surprise to most people? Well, I did call the 2007 and 2008. You can see me on um, CNN with Wolf Blitzer on my website. 
and I'm calling the crash is coming as before they arrived. And I'm calling for the biggest crash of all coming to 2016. On the other side of it is that crashes are when you get rich. So I really, I love crashes. And so I'm not afraid of them. That's a big difference. So what do you anticipate happening next year? Because 2016, that's this year, actually. What do you anticipate happening now or in the next 12 months? I'll, I'll tell you the things that have happened. As you know, the stock market is completely rigged, 100% rigged now. And it's called financialization. And I don't trust that. I don't trust anything in paper. I don't, I don't trust cash. I don't trust stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. Anything in paper, I'm out of right now because it's manipulated. So on the other side of it, what is crashing is that we're now in World War III. World War III, I'm very pessimistic simply because I'm a pessimist as well as an optimist. So don't get too upset with this. So we're at World War III right now. You know, we have, and I have ISIS, which is kicking our asses. We have um, Boko Haram, Hezbollah, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and they're all over the world. And so we're in World War III right now. And nobody really watches that thing. But also what's happening is that we've had a crash in interest rates. And negative interest rates are no good. They're absolutely, they're great for me because I'm making a lot of money because I'm borrowing. I borrowed $300 million after 2008. It's been fantastic for me. But low interest rates have wiped out the people who are savers, you know, the people, mom and pop, who save money. They're getting crushed. And it's also going to destroy uh, zero interest rates or negative interest rates are killing government pensions and most pensions like CalPERS, which is the largest pension fund in America, operates on a basis of 7% gains per year. And in 2015, the best they could do was 0.9%. So those negative <laughs> interest rates are great for real estate guys, but it's, it's bad for everybody else. Right. It's an incentive to borrow and a disincentive to save. But how does that equate to a crash in the next no, 12 months? It's going to wipe out the baby boomers, my friend. So I don't know if you know the consequences. The consequences of this is that it's going to wipe out 7, 8 million baby boomers. Just because they so won't I, be able to make money, you mean? They're gone. They're finished. They're toast. So that's why I watch all this stuff. At the same time, negative interest rates is pushing the stock market to all-time highs. You know, we're 4,000. The Dow is 4,000 points above the crash of 2008. It's completely manipulated. So when people say nothing has crashed, I'm going, what about interest rates? What about the Dow? What about the manipulation of the stock market? What about oil prices? We have from 140 to $40. This is not good stuff. These are crashes happening in our economy right now. Interesting. I said we're at World War III. We cannot control terrorism. I, I, I fought in Vietnam twice. We could not kill the Viet Cong because they're a philosophy, not a country. Right. And so the, the new weapon of choice for the terrorists is a cell phone. And the cell phone can now recruit as well as set off IEDs. Most guys are too positive right now. I would be extremely bearish right now. Something, some shoe is going to drop. And that's when I'll make more money is after the crash. The crash has not occurred yet. And so all this positive, happy, happy horseshit I hear from all these people. I mean, my even my sister was planning on getting into real estate because she says, oh, I can make $400 a month from a rental property. 
The problem is that the rental property was in Memphis, Tennessee, and she lives in L.A. So why would you buy a rental property in Memphis when you live in L.A.? You all can make some money. It's so all that thing has to do is go negative once you wiped out all your gains. So this is why I, you know, I talk and I counsel. A lot of people have this idea that real estate always goes up. That is a bunch of BS. You buy one bad property, you're cleaned out forever because there's, there's a lack of liquidity with real estate. So you've got to be very, very smart, especially today. So I'm telling you, everything is crashing right now, except it's being manipulated by the Fed to keep the stock prices high so that the rich get richer so they can escape. But when the crash comes, that's when the rich will really get rich. And that's why it's good to be negative as well as positive. So I, I am very adamant about talking to people now. Just because the markets are good and Mr. Uh, what's his name, uh, Obama, says the economy is doing fine, that's not what I see. And you look at this immigration problem, Europe will never be the same. But the United States, we've had last year alone, we had 70,000 kids from Central America trying to cut across our border because they're being murdered. And in, and in Southeast Asia, the Australian government has private islands where they're holding detainees, immigrants, because they're all running. So the world economy is extremely volatile right now. So that's why I tend to be more negative and more cautious now. On the other side of it, when it all comes down, then I'll go back in. That's what I'm trying to say. So save money now. And I don't save money. I borrow money. That's the beauty of real estate is debt and taxes. I can borrow. I don't pay tax. Right now, I'm standing aside. I'm watching this whole thing unfold in front of me. I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you, this baby's coming down. Mm. And I'm not very optimistic. I'm very pessimistic. Now, when it crashes, I'll be very optimistic again. Because that's when reality will set in. You want everything to be positive. Look, I'm trying to tell you, we've never been here before. You know, Lord Rothschild of Rothschild Bank says, oh, my God, we cannot stand here much longer. Look at Deutsche Bank is in serious trouble. Deutsche Bank's the most powerful bank in Europe. Now it's being caught for you know, criminal activity, the subprime stuff, but they're also having they're also having debt from especially Italy and Greece, Spain, not they're not paying. So the most powerful bank in Europe is in trouble. So that's the kind of stuff I watch. I'm not one of these happy Pollyanna guys who's just saying they're, oh, you know, real estate's always gonna go up. Then you're not a, you're almost not as bright as my sister. I don't expect her to be that bright. But she expects she's going to make $400 a month from a property in Memphis. And she has nobody watching it for her. And she's crazy because, as you know, property is property management. It's not acquiring properties, Doug. Easy. Very easy. Managing the property is the hard part. Yeah, agree 100%. So let's switch gears a little bit. Some of our listeners are struggling with the cash flow quadrant. And where they struggle the most, it seems, is going from an S, right, to a B. Can you talk a little bit about what you would recommend for them to, you know, get out of that mental block that's keeping them from going from an S to a B? That's a very sophisticated question, but I'll just say this much, okay? E, S, B, and the I, they're four different human beings. So they're all humans, but they're different beings. 
And what, what makes a human being a being is number one is men, their mental intelligence is different. Second is their physical intelligence. Third is their emotional. And four is their spiritual intelligence. So a person in the E, e quadrant has one type of mental mindset. Generally, what's rattling around in their brain is, I need job security. I need a steady paycheck. Emotionally, they're going, well, what if I lose? You know, physically, it's like, I got to make sure I don't lose anything. And spiritually, they have no guts. So a person in the E mindset has a very tough time moving to the S mindset. Because in the S mindset, it's completely different again. Mentally, a person in the S, in the S quadrant, they have this thing that nobody can do it better. I'm smarter than everybody else. Physically, they do it on their own. Uh, emotionally, they don't trust anybody. And spiritually, they don't trust anybody. And when you move to B, it's against a whole different being, mentally, physically, emotionally, and then spiritually. And then the I quadrant is the best of all quadrants, but, but very few people will make it there. So each one is a transformation. It's like, a, you know, like when a person enters a job force, they enter like a little caterpillar, they become a butterfly. When they enter the S quadrant, they enter a caterpillar again, no matter how successful they were as an employee. And it takes time for them to metamorphosize and become a, a butterfly in the S quadrant. It's the same with the B and same with the I. So it's, it's a tough question. It's not easy. Like, for instance, you know, I, I quit my job in 1978 from Xerox. And I was very successful in the E quadrant working for Xerox, I had a bright career ahead. So they had, they had a bright career ahead at Xerox. Now I went to the, I entered the S quadrant, I start from zero again, and nothing. I nearly quit so many times in the S until I got strong as an S, then I moved to the B. So each one as a metamorphosis is, is like a caterpillar entering a cocoon and emerging. It's a, and many times it's a painful process. So that's why it's not easy for everybody. It's a great question. I wish I had an easy answer. But if you look at the people who don't make it, many of them just can't take the pressure. They can't take the heat. So the same as when I was in flight school, I entered Navy flight school. I couldn't fly at all. And two and a half years later, I was flying in Vietnam. That was a metamorphosis. But not everybody could do it. A lot of guys didn't make it. Interesting. So it seems like if, if anything, it's first, first and foremost, a mental metamorphosis. It's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Mm. There are a lot of guys when I was in flight school, they just couldn't take it emotionally. They couldn't take it. You look at what's happening today. I mean, I don't know what's happening, but there was that Marine who just committed suicide at Paris Island. And they said they put, they put too much pressure on him. <laughs> what do you expect? You know, I mean, my friend who is a three-star general, he says, the kids coming into the Marine Corps today are a lot weaker emotionally. They're strong physically, but weak emotionally. And even this thing in schools now, that the kids want what safe zones or something like this. So there's something going on in our environment that people just lack, you know, what my Jewish friends call the chutzpah or the guts. So that's where most of it lies. So they, it's best to just stay in the E quadrant. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so don't try it. I, I heard one person say that it's kind of like 
American Idol where they put all the really bad singers up first and make fun of them that they even tried. He said most entrepreneurs or what people that consider themselves entrepreneurs are like those idiots that they put at the beginning of American Idol that really can't sing. They're just there for entertainment purposes. They're terrible at entrepreneurship, so they should stay in what you call the E-quadrant, the employee quadrant. Well, it's, it's not so much that uh, I, really, I really was terrible. It's just that I had my rich dad as a coach and a guide, and, guide, and he used to slap, not even really physically slap my head, but he'd chew my butt off. You know, he said, don't you know this? Don't you know that? And today, that would be verbal abuse, if you know what I mean. So today, you can't even, like I said, my, my, my roommate from Vietnam is a three-star general today. He says, you can't even yell at these guys. You, know, you might hurt their feelings. So I, I, I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I sit there and I wonder. But I, I do know for me, there was nothing to, there was nothing in my makeup that said I, I would have made it, you know, as an entrepreneur. Because it, it does take guts, it does take emotional intelligence, mental intelligence, physical intelligence, and spiritual intelligence. And most people have it, they just, they're just not used to calling on it. I think that's the problem. Very interesting. Very interesting. So now, when you were at our GoBundance event about a year and a half or so ago, you talked about gold, silver. You also talked about oil, and you talked about bullets. Do you still have the philosophy that those are good investments, or can you elaborate on that a little bit? I don't look at. I have what I was talking about is you should have the four precious metals: gold, silver, guns, and bullets. And what I'm talking about, you got to have a plan B. Look, the problem in the world economy, which is most people's plan A is they save money, you know, they invest the long-term in the stock market. And those are the people that are in serious trouble today. You know, savers, like I said, interest rates have fallen when I was in, in 1970, interest rates were at 16%. Now they're negative 0.5%. And so people are still saving money. Those are the people getting wiped out. Their plan A isn't working. The other people's plan A is to invest for the long term in the stock market. And today the Dow is at 18,000, an all-time high. And there's still these idiots out there who are investing for the long term. You know, in 1996, there was a book written called The Millionaire Next Door. And then my book came out in 1997 called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Millionaire Next Door are exact opposite books. So today, the millionaire next door is getting wiped out. The millionaire, the millionaire next door turned out to be the foreclosure next door, the unemployed <laughs> next door, because they, they actually believe their house was an asset. What a bunch of idiots. So they got wiped out. And so some of the millionaire next doors are hanging on because the stock market has recovered from a low of 9,000 to 18,000. Question is, how much longer can it stay up there? And where does the millionaire, millionaire next door go the next crash? Savings? Are you crazy? Back in the stock market? Are you crazy? So that's why I said you got to have a plan B. And plan B are tangible assets. So gold and silver, in my, my mindset, fit tangible. That means the government and the banks cannot mess with it. You know, gold is gold and silver is silver. 
I don't hold them as investments. I hold gold and silver as an insurance plan against the idiots like Janet Yellen and Bernanke and Greenspan and this guy Obama and the Bushes and all that. It's all rigged. You know, it's all rigged. So that's why I gold and silver insurance against the printing press. That's why I keep it. As far as oil goes, the reason I like oil, and I don't mean Exxon or Standard Oil. I like oil because if I invest a million dollars in oil, I get 80% return day one. I get 800,000 back day one. I can't do that with, with, with Standard Oil stock. So there's a method to everything I do. So I love oil because my problem is too much income. So I've always got to be offsetting income with tax losses. Right. So that's oil. I think real estate is the best, but the trouble with real estate is illiquid. If you make a bad buy, you're wiped out. One bad buy in real estate, especially if you don't have you know the, the staying power to ride the negative cash flow, you're wiped out. And that's what's happening to Deutsche Bank and all that. They're getting wiped out. They can't. They can't take the hemorrhaging. So my sister's going to buy in Asheville. Uh, I think she makes sixty thousand a year. I said, "How long can you stand to hemorrhage a thousand dollars a month?" You oh, not too long. I said, "Then don't touch it. I don't care how much you make. All you need is one bad investment. You're finished." So real estate is a different beast. It's to me the best of all the classes, but it's the most illiquid. At least gold and silver are liquid. So those those are kind of my reason for that. And and oil I like because of tax benefits. You can think you can get the same tax benefits investing in food, water, other things like energy. So there's different reasons for different things. Can you explain the the tax benefit? How you mean the eighty percent? Well, you should ask your accountant, not me, because I'm not an accountant. But if I invest a million dollars into what's called a speculative play in oil. Then I get eight a million. I get eight hundred thousand written off. So that on a forty percent bracket, that's three hundred twenty thousand dollars. I don't pay in taxes. It's called phantom cash flow. Phantom cash flow. And the bullets and guns is when all hell breaks loose that people will try to come and take your gold and oil. Is that right? That's correct. I don't know if you heard. You know, I was watching uh, Shark Tank, a great program, the night. They were talking about what it's like to all of a sudden become rich. And the moment you become rich, you become a target. Mm. And so that's why you've really got to have a great uh, assets protection attorney. But you've also got to be, you know, my, my police officers and my, or my friends are close by at all times. Because as the economy gets more unstable, which I expect it will, that way you've got to be able to protect yourself. Or, for example, one year ago, I was up in the mountains of Arizona, and we came under fire from, I think the guy was a drug dealer or something, a white guy. And we called the police. It was two and a half hours before the police showed up. And just a random guy was shooting at you? or? Yeah, he and his wife. So they got sent to jail. But it's, look, all this terrorism, all this goofy stuff going on, people aren't sane right now. So I'll look at the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. But I got to look at the worst and the best when I make a decision. And to me, you know, every time I read about Deutsche Bank, I don't know, I don't know if you've been in this game that long, but Deutsche Bank was a great source of funding for me for years. Now they're in more they're in greater trouble than I ever was. 
So something's going on. Look at Bank of Japan. You know, nothing is working. Nothing is working. You look at the rise of World War III, terrorism. And to, to sit there and think, well, everything's going to be happy days are here again. I don't think so. So that's why I'm very careful of what I do, how I do it, why I do it. My asset, my asset protection is strong. And I'm very careful on what I say to people. And saying with trouble with real estate is it's not liquid. Mm. You make a bad investment, you're stuck. Right. You can't get you cannot get up. And there's all things about real estate going up. I live in an extremely affluent neighborhood. The best prop what I what I consider the best properties on the block are not selling. The best. The ones that are cheapest are selling, but not the best. That that reflects something to me going on that I, I don't understand. That makes sense too, that the best properties should always go first, but it's not that. It's the cheapest properties in the best neighborhood are going first. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, just, I just kind of observe those things and tuck it away in the brains, you know, and think about that. Well, there's some that will say that, you know, in the 50s and 40s and 60s, you know, the largest house in the neighborhood, the best house in the neighborhood, as you say, was pretty modest. If you look at Elvis's mansion, and speaking of Tennessee, for instance, and that thing's only like 2,500 square feet, and that was Elvis's palace, Graceland. That was big for that day. And now the houses are, you know, 10, 20 times that size. And, it, and so there's been this huge push to get bigger and bigger. And now the kids, or younger people, in America are starting to say, hey, I don't need much space. I, I don't want much space. I, I value experience, travel, you know, festivals, things like that, more than I value space. So what do you say to those people that are saying, hey, look, this may be a trend that these big mega mansions may be a thing of the past and that whole mega mansion market may crash completely. I, I, I would agree with you. I'd have to agree with you. That's what I'm saying in my neighborhood. It's a very affluent neighborhood. One side of the street is more affluent than the other side. And the most affluent side is not selling. So I look at that and I go, that's interesting. And I do know there's a shift away from large houses with the younger generation simply because they can't afford them. You know, the, the idea of jobs, jobs going away is true also. So there's a shift in values and demographics. So I'd have, you know, I'd have to look at my own house and worry about I have too much house, mm. but I like it. I can afford it. Right. And you don't plan on selling anytime soon. No. And that's another thing that I find kind of interesting. Is I was listening to Barbara Corcoran of Shark Tank, and she said a real estate investor, she basically described a real estate investor as a flipper. And I don't know if you know, but that's capital gains. I go for cash flow. And so the people that, that you only get caught are flippers. You know, they buy a place, they fix it, and flip it. That's not what I do. We buy a place and kind of the Buffett or in Buffett approach want to hold on to it forever. So that's different philosophies. Again, I'm not saying one is right or wrong, but if you flip properties, you pay the higher taxes. If you go for uh, cash flow or passive income, you pay no tax. Very big difference. Yeah, I remember hearing you say that uh, you've never lost money on real estate because you've never sold it. I mean, I've sold some, but I don't try and flip it. That's a big difference. I'm not, I'm not waiting. It's called the greater fool theory. You're looking for a fool greater than you to come along and buy it. 
<laughs> so it's just a different philosophy. I think when you feel listeners, it really is important to get your philosophy straight. You, uh, you want to be a flipper. Who's that guy on TV, the Ricardo or something, you know? Yeah, there's a million of them now. There's like 15 shows on flipping. Yeah, flip this house, flip this house, flip this house. And that's not what I do. Not, not that my way is better, but I tell you what, steady paychecks every month sure are better than flipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that leads to another question, and that is right now in America and actually throughout the world, and you mentioned Shark Tank, there's more ingenuity than ever before. You have more people starting companies, raising money to start companies, flipping houses, doing all these things because of the reality TV shows that put them in front of us. And I wanted to get your opinion on what does that mean? Is, is there a, a huge risk that's being created by all of these quick money people that want to want to make money but don't want to necessarily work for it the old-fashioned way? I have a good question. Uh, I remember when I was just starting out, this is 40, 50 years ago, I was I started the nylon on Velcro surfer wallet business, and I was called an entrepreneur by my local paper. And my poor dad called me up and he says, you see what the paper called you? I said, what's that? They called you an entrepreneur. I said, what does that mean to you, dad? He says, it means you're a crook. And that was 40 or 50 years ago. Now everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> so I, I think it really is the times have changed. You know, there's, there's four or five things that are driving that. Number one is technology is putting people out of work, as you know. This, this driverless cars like by, by um, Tesla. No, driverless. Yeah. I don't know. They have a driverless car now. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So that means for the male population, see, a big hire of people who drive are men. So that means pretty soon they'll have trucks that are driverless and taxis and all this stuff. So it's Uber. You know, people are Uber drivers. I don't know how for how long. You know, even Lyft now is, is experimenting with sending you a car that's empty for the driver. So technology is going to push more people out of work than ever before. And then you have the baby boomers who are now at the end of the line. They're going to affect the markets a lot because their spending days are over. They're going to conservative. Another thing that's wiping people out is financialization. There's a collusion between the banks and our government. You know, like Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs controls most of our central banks and technology that you know, a bunch of things that are happening, but it's causing the more ambitious people to say, I better become an entrepreneur, which is a good thing. But as you and I know, 90% will fail in the first five years, but that's how you learn. So that's part of it. So it just, I'm, I'm, it just means I'm, it's going to be a lot of losers. <laughs> You can call them that, or those people who are learning a lot quickly. But I, I'm just, I'm constantly surprised. You know, I, I talk to some young people coming out of school, and maybe I'm just an old guy now, but a lot of them have not a clue what real life is yet. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I, I was, I don't know if I was idealistic, and I just, I was idealistic. I volunteered, I didn't take a high paying job, and I volunteered for the Marine Corps, because I was being idealistic. But I didn't have this idea that the world owed me a living. And just because I had a college degree, I was better than the next guy. And I was at my friend's company, which is kind of a 
health rehab company. And my friend says, see that guy over there? I says, yeah. He has a master's in da-da-da-da-da physiology. And he has no customers. And I said, why is that? It's because he's arrogant. He thinks he's better than all the other guys working here. And I see that a lot. You know, like I have a master's degree and I'm better than you. But they don't really have people skills. So as you know, as an entrepreneur, you better have very good people and communication skills. And a lot of young people don't have those skills because they sit there staring at their screen on their iPhone. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so they're good. They're good on the iPhone, but not one-on-one. Now, you mentioned the bachelor's degree. Some people are, are calling our higher education is in a bubble in itself, that they were due for a huge depreciation in costs of college. What, what are your feelings on that? Well, look at MIT and Harvard. They're, offering, they're already offering free education, which I think is kind of a good thing. But the question I always ask people is, where does education take you? That's the question. You know, I mentioned the, um, like when I entered flight school, I knew what I was going to exit as. I was going to exit as a pilot. And I wanted to be a pilot. So when you come out of school with a bachelor's degree, what do you emerge as? <laughs> you, re- you emerge as an unemployed student. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> you, know, you still don't know much. And you, gotta, and you now have to find a job to get some real life experience. I'll read you this quote from a good book. It says, Imagine, you know, this question you ask me about how you how you go from E, S, B, and I. Yes. Each one is a transformation, a metamorphosis. So imagine that as a caterpillar transformed its shape, it must experience excruciating pain mm. while having no inkling of the exaltation of flight. I'll read it again. Imagine that as a caterpillar transforms its shape, it must, excruci- must experience excruciating pain while having no inkling of the exaltation of flight. And for me, the, the thing that was pretty good about flight school, I didn't know how to fly, but I had a sense of what it would be like. And the average person coming out of a college, college degree, the master's degree, or whatever it is, they don't know how to fly. They don't know what it feels like. They don't know what freedom feels like because they're looking for a job. So being an entrepreneur is like having that freedom to fly, but they're not willing to go through the pain. That makes sense to you. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they need to know that if you're going to go to one from one quadrant to the other, it's going to hurt. It's going to be like a drug withdrawal. It's going to be extremely uncomfortable, and every day you're going to feel like crap. But it's part of the process. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. It's a transformation, a metamorphosis. Whereas the problem with kids, I mean, they know all the right answers, but they haven't gone through the pain yet. And, you know, there was a young guy in Europe, he just inherited 15 billion from his, from his father. Well, I wasn't that lucky. You know, my old man didn't leave me 15 billion. <laughs> <laughs> so if your old man's not going to leave you 15 billion, you might have to go through some pain. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I was advising a friend of mine. Um, he had an opportunity to buy a business that already existed and get a loan for a million dollars, 
or start his own business like an insurance company or an insurance agent or a real estate agent or or something where he would have to get his head kicked in and but that he could do it for free he could do it with no money basically you get an insurance or real estate or something like that for a thousand bucks and he of course chose to get the loan and and the the, the company ended up going out of business after two years and I think that uh, so many people want to just to take the easy route and borrow money and raise money and start a business to be an entrepreneur versus getting their head kicked in and starting from the bottom. I would say you're pretty accurate on that one, you know, because like I said, I love Shark Tank. I love watching them, you know. And there was these three Asian women one time. They went up there and they were looking for $600,000. And when I think it was Cuban, Mark Cuban asked them, what are you going to do with the money? They said, we're going to pay ourselves $200,000 each. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Cuban went off, went off the rails on that one. <laughs> uh, they got their money somehow, but, you know, like there's certain values I think real entrepreneurs have. And when you borrow money for a paycheck, that's not the best policy, at least from my point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But for some people, that's what they think it is. Yeah. Another great program. Another great program is the Profit. You know, Marcus Melonius. Yeah, I love that show. I love that show, man. You know, a lot of times I'm that boneheaded entrepreneur who doesn't get it. You know. <laughs> so, well, you have to be a bonehead to be an entrepreneur. You know that, right? Yeah, I do believe that because I was never the sharpest tool in the shed when, you know, in, in school and that sort of thing. But I think I succeeded just from having a, a faith of ignorance. Just I didn't know any better. It really helps to be humble, you know. But I, I know that I've had my teeth kicked in so many times as an entrepreneur just because I thought what I was doing was right. And it was to a certain degree. But I was really so far off base, it took somebody to take a sledgehammer and pound me over the head and go, wake up. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say the, the worst uh, investment deal you've done is or, or a lesson you've learned from a bad deal? My biggest problem has always been I've been too trusting. You know what I mean? Like when I was 18, I went to military school, academy, and then I went into the Marine Corps. And that's a very, and there was very, there was no women in those days. It was a very tough, macho organization. The Marine Corps was fairly, fairly, fairly rigid. So was the academy. And you learned that you fucked somebody over, they fucked you over. It was just tit for tat, that fast. But I came into the real world and I found out most guys in business are liars and scumbags and crooks and they'll tell you anything to take your money. And it took me a while to realize that I wasn't in the military anymore. Hmm. And so the biggest mistake was assuming that, pe that people came through the same metamorphosis or the same transformation. I did. Like, I, I couldn't imagine cheating somebody. It's just not part of the code of honor. You don't do those things in the Marine Corps. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't do that. But in the real world, they screw anybody. They'll screw their mother for a buck. <laughs> so, that was one of the hardest wake-up calls I had to come across. That yeah. people are liars. People will lie and cheat and steal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm very trusting. But it, it, it seems like sometimes with some of these deals that the hardest these people work is when they're trying to raise money from you to invest with them. 
Yeah. Once they get the money, then all of a sudden they don't work as hard. <laughs> I tell you what, the thing I love about real estate is every deal is different. And you're always running up against a new set of characters. Right. Like we're on this one project right now. It's probably the best, pro it's the best 5.8 acres of land in Arizona today. And it's right across the street from my house. And um, it's a beautiful property. And uh, there's one section of the property, I think it's a 10,000 square foot lot. And two entrepreneurs or two con men have taken a run at it. So the property is probably worth 300,000 bucks with the house on it. One guy paid 900 for it and then came to us and tried to flip it to us for a million two. And we looked at him as, are you kidding me? You think, I don't even need that property. So he dumped it off and that lost money. He dumped it off to another sucker for 800,000. That idiot did the same thing. He tried to force us. He tried to force us to get it rezoned in his favor so that he could take land from us because we weren't using the land. He needed a parking spot. He tried to force us to do it. And we've been around the block a number of times and we just sat there and listened to him. And uh, I just can't believe the audacity of the guy. So we're eventually, we think we're gonna get the property anyway but these guys actually think they're in their 40s, both guys. They thought they could force us in by flipping the property to us. I don't need a 10,000 square foot house. Right. I mean, I didn't need it. But they actually thought they could force us to take it. So where do these guys come from? And so then they, they've been, the second guy has now pissed off everybody in the neighborhood. And some of the guys in that area are fairly substantial, you know, like, mega mega millionaire developers and they look at this clown in his 40s they go are you kidding me and he's sitting there you know prancing around with a little bantam uh, chicken <laughs> you gotta be kidding me where do you come from so he's cleared the land and all this and he's trying to force us to see to him another 5,000 square feet so he can put parking on it <laughs> that pissed me off why would I do that <laughs> Amazing, amazing, amazing. So, Robert, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate you being on the line today. This has been incredible. Thanks so much for your wisdom and advice. I'm going to put all of the information. I'm going to put the books Robert mentioned, everything on hybendigital.com backslash Robert Kiyosaki. Robert, thanks so much again. I really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll break some bread again in the near future. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Guys, you belong to a great organization. GoBundance.com. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Rebus University. Hey guys, Pat here. You've heard me talk about Rebus University and the success we're having with it. Have over 120 people taking the listing agent course right now as we speak wanted to read you a, a comment i've got seven comments all five star comments on it and it says wow first class material jeff Cohn is a rock star rachel adams is a rock star all the presenters deliver tons of value thank you pat for drawing out that little extra from each presenter if you are a realtor or thinking about becoming one Invest in yourself with Rebus University. I couldn't say it better. Dion hit it right on the head. 
We've had a ton of people graduate. The other day I read off the list. We've had a lot of people in there talking in the dialogue section. Some of the, the greatest things that people like are, are the way we talk about rapport building, commission enhancements, sales techniques, objection handling, all the good stuff that are going to help you beat your competition over and over again on listing appointments and never, ever, ever lose a listing again to a competitor. And we make sure that by creating quizzes, there's 42 tests that you got to take and get an 80% or better on before you get your certificate as a pass for a certified listing agent. So as a listener of the show, I, I have a coupon. It's a hundred bucks off. Just go to hybendigital.com backslash discount, hybendigital.com backslash discount. It'll take you to the Rebus site. And uh, on the Rebus site, which is rebusuniversity.com, you can look at, you can even play in some of the modules. You can look at a couple of the, the videos for free. Kind of take it for a test run. Highly recommend it. And of course, when you get the course on how to win every listing, you get 28 downloads that are completely downloadable. Print them out, change them, make, put your name on and make them the way you want. That all these eight agents from around the world who are top, top, top listing agents use on a daily basis when they go on their listing appointment. So in addition to the 10 hours plus a video, the 42 quizzes and the 28 downloads, you get all of that. And then you get a discussion board where you can talk to other Rebus students at the same time. So hybendigital.com backslash discount. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.